0: Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In this episode, we'll get to know all about ESG, the investment instruments that are ESG-themed, the role of treasury with ESG, and much more. And we're thrilled to explore with Etienne Schalmanj, the Director of Financial Markets at Aliaxis, and a visiting professor at the IESEG School of Management Lille, Paris, with us. Etienne has a diverse career, combining roles in banking, corporate treasury, and teaching at business schools and universities is not just a great treasury advisor, but also an exceptional guest for the episode, and you'll soon discover why. In this episode, expect to learn what is ESG, how would ESG apply to treasury, what are the investment instruments that are ESG-themed, can an RCF be linked to the ESG performance of a company, what is the role of the treasury when it comes to ESG, the role of rating agencies in the whole process, and all about Etienne's experience throughout his amazing career and of course, much more. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with Etienne, as he has offered several invaluable pieces of advice for treasury professionals interested in finance and investment within the treasury sector. We thoroughly enjoyed our conversation with him, and we are confident that you will as well. If you enjoy the episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcast app. Your support means the world to us and makes Guillaume and I very happy. Last but not least, As you probably know, we have started the AI Treasury Insight Newsletter, which is a weekly three to five minute read that'll cover all about what's happening in AI and treasury. It's a field which is growing exponentially and treasury professionals need to know what's going on. We go through explaining what AI is and providing examples directly relevant to treasury, as well as explaining things like ChatGPT and also what all the different treasury vendors and suppliers are doing in the world of treasury right now. So if you're interested in that, how AI relates to treasury, find the link in the show notes below and sign up. With that being said, please welcome Etienne.
1: Etienne. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, We are here today to talk about ESG in Treasury. And maybe, as this is Corporate Treasury 101, and even if that might be a given, can you walk us through quickly what ESG is?
2: Yes, sure. And thanks uh, very much for the invitation. Uh, ESG is the acronym for Environment, Social and Governance. These are the factors to evaluate sustainable characteristics of a corporate or for uh, an investment. So it's a way to judge a corporate by elements other than financial performance. We call this extra financial performance. It refers to the triple P, backed in 1990, standing for people, planet, profits, when you have actually awareness raising that Capitalism was not the only focus, but other factors like the well-being of people or planets may bring benefits. So the ESG stands from this triple P uh, move, I would say. Now, looking more into details in these three letters, you can say that E stands for Conservation of the Natural World. So it's a broad terminology. It takes into account climate change and carbon emission, but you have also water pollution, biodiversity, waste management, etc. For the S, for social, it stands for people in relationship. So it means that we analyze the customer satisfaction, but also gender diversity, human rights, the labor standards, and data protection. And finally, G stands for governance, So it's standards, processes, in turn to a corporate where they analyze, for instance, the board composition, are they independent or non-independent board members, the remuneration of the directors, political contribution, corruption, that kind of stuff. So these are the terminologies uh, behind this acronym ESG. Now what we see is that in the newspapers, for instance, ESG is used interchangeably with SRI or CSR or terminology like impact investing. They are alternatively used the same way. Actually, there are some different meanings between these four different concepts. Uh, ESG is to make a long story short. It's kind of a guidelines that assess the risk and the performance for a corporate, for instance. Okay. Now, talking about SRI, it's social responsible investment. It's a step further. So when you are, for instance, a fund manager, you can use these ESG guidelines, but then take a decision: select or not a company, a credit, or an equity uh, based on ethical factor. Okay, so it's a step further because they decide to push aside or not some ethical. I would say framework. So, a concrete example: you may see a fund manager pushing aside. Uh, some uh, companies that are considered as polluting or pushing aside tobacco or a weapon, the company with that kind of businesses. So it's a step further. Now what we see also is we talk about impact uh, investing. Impact mm-hmm. is really what can contribute to a social, to an, an economical and environmental uh, benefits. So it's really one step also further It's really something that can change or uh, a bit shake the lines, I would say. So it's a bit different also. And finally, I was talking about CSR. It stands for Corporate Social Responsibilities. It's different than ESG in the sense that CSR is seen as internal and qualitative, while ESG is more considered as external and quantitative.
1: Super clear and uh, quite some beautiful terms that we want to dig into and break down. Um, Maybe before this, uh, to to give people and also Husam and I uh, an understanding of the the big picture, why is it, I think we can say, one of the most looked at topics by companies around the world and not only companies, right? Governments, institutions, everybody is talking about ESG in all its forms. Why is it particularly relevant now? Well, it's a good question, but if you look at
2: what happened since the beginning of two thousand? we've seen that the world has changed. Um, we moved from an, a world when we had initiatives, kind of uh, consciousness of something what uh, went pretty much wrong. But since the beginning of two thousand now, we have evidence, we have proof that there is something bad coming into the climate. We called it climate change. And then we had not only the corporate, but also politics. So all the stakeholders uh, decided to move ahead, take decisions and go ahead. So they considered that ESG was extremely important to go ahead, was the future and should not be set aside. Okay. But to make a long story short, and to identify one step, uh, what important step was uh, the Paris Agreement, so the COP21 that happened in 2015, that's where they decided that the world had to uh, limit by two uh, degrees extra the global warming. Okay, so that's, it was a key element. Behind this decision, concrete measures was to, to put some money at work in order to tackle the objective in 2050. And this is concretely to put $3 trillion a year in order to be able to reach this target in 2050. So, of course, it will imply a lot of changes, but new financing and new investment ESG to
1: come. Awesome and that is the perfect transition. Thank you a lot Etienne for this um, overview of what ESG is and how it impacts company and why it is a trend right now. Now if we look a little bit closer to finance in particular how would ESG apply to finance? I think you, you mentioned already some uh, greener investments investors that tend to disregard certain companies tobacco, oil and gas and so on but how do we concretely apply this in all its form to finance? But at the moment that uh, businesses need to
2: change, then of course finance will come along with businesses. It's they, they're acting hands in hands. So as long as the business change, you will have impact in the PNL in the balance sheet. Therefore, finance financial control will focus more and more on ESG you will have also other departments impacting impacted sorry by uh, this ENG component like tax like treasury we will talk about treasury uh, right after but also department like M&A so definitely as long as uh, corporate and businesses changing towards ESG finance will adapt and and come along with uh, with that
0: Thanks a lot, Tatiana. Like, can you explain a bit more about the treasury side of it? Then, so finance, I understand from a investment point of view, from an allocation of funds point of view. But what does the treasury department specifically have to do with ESG?
2: Yeah, sure. It's uh well actually, obviously, two two elements, two activities come directly in mind when we talk about treasury uh, ESG in treasury. First of all, is the financing, and second of all, is the investment. It's not only that. But that's the the two main obvious uh, activities we can identify. Financing, and I I had the opportunity to be at the early stages involved in financing with ESG component, is the fact that Treasury can contribute also to ESG, to this ESG tendency or to this ESG uh, framework by raising ESG linked or ESG pure financing you have different type of product and some from time to time we may found a bit lost what i can say to simplify is that in finance in financing product when a company has to has to raise money there are two different types two main different types of financing you have the use of proceeds okay it means that when you raise the money the proceeds will be dedicated to ESG products, okay, to ESG purposes, to EG objectives. So we take most of the time it's green, but we see more and more social also, or even what we called transition. I will explain a bit more uh, about that. And next to that, you have the general corporate purposes, meaning that you can raise funds, okay, that's for the usual proceeds, uh, so it's refinancing existing debt, it's for working capital, for instance. But you can identify KPIs that, depending on the performance uh, analyzed at a certain moment of this KPI, decided to give a penalty or not. But these are ESG-linked criteria. So you have two different things uh, to consider when you are raising funds, when you are considering the ESG financing, you have the use of proceeds and you had general corporate purposes with a KPI linked or sustainability linked. Okay, that's the main, the two main elements.
0: Thank you so much. So take, take us into that a little bit more detail. Um, at the end, yeah. what would that sort of investing look like? Do you have examples? Like, how do you go about as a treasurer investing in ESG? Compliant way?
2: Yeah. As a treasurer, what you will do is that when you have in, in, in excess of cash, you will uh, try to put the money uh, at ESG work. So it means that you will decide it to select banks if you opt for a deposit or term deposits. You will select uh, money market funds with a ESG component. You can select commercial papers with an ESG component, green, for instance, or even KPI linked, even if they are not very frequent. That's for, I would say, the short-term investment. For the long-term, you can opt it for a bond front with an ESG component. Okay, so you have, depending on the short-term or the long-term, you have plenty of possibilities to put the excess of cash into ESG linked instruments.
0: And how do those KPIs work exactly?
2: Well, actually, what you have to do is identify KPIs, meaning that it's key performance indicators in ESG. It can be uh, reducing the uh, carbon emissions. It can be having less of waste uh, or less using uh, packages. It can be less incident or more gender uh, or diversification. So there are plenty of possibilities. You have tremendous number of indicators that you can use or you can decide to use an index composed by a lot of indicators as a KPI itself. So you have plenty of possibilities. And this is just for for the example. This is what we did at Carrefour in 2019. We decided to refinance the revolving credit facility with an ESG component. And this ESG component was the index of Carrefour, the CSR index of Carrefour, composed of 17 indicators from environment to social to governance. And the idea was to analyze the performance of this index, of this KPI, every year and depending on the performance, we decided to penalize or not uh, to, to create a mechanism that contribute to to, to fit. At that time, it was a, a, a food transition platform to dedicate the fund into specific product to food transition. Okay, so it's it's there are plenty of possibilities. You can use either index, you can use a specific KPI, reducing the uh, carbon emission in uh, 2030 or 2040. That's the most frequent KPI we can use. And at the end of this period, we will analyze uh, what is the result. This result is called SPT. It's the Sustainable Performance Target. If it's about a certain threshold, nothing happened. If it's below, you can decided to penalize, in this case, the issuer by a certain amount and the penalty will go to NGOs, to a charity or to a specific fund or to put the money to ESG to contribute for the company uh, to improve its ESG. So there are plenty of possibilities, but that's a bit of what KPI is. So we have plenty of of, um, of alternatives.
1: So th- this one is super interesting, Etienne. So I think we pretty much understand the raise the money. Uh, so use of proceeds. Uh, it's like we raise money to funds. Uh, I don't know, some greener energy installation or mm-hmm. out a hiring program for more diversity and inclusion. But so this uh, KPI base is super interesting. You mm-hmm. basically invest in a company and saying, look, uh, we give you that amount of money but then the only metric you will play on is what, the interest rates and the, the time, right? Like you either need to reimburse us faster or at a higher rate in case you don't meet those KPIs. Or how does it work exactly here? Yeah, so it means that today we, we
2: identify, let's say that we consider to, to issue a money based on the KPI. The KPI exists already. Uh, You have traditionally a baseline, so it means that at least three years before, you have a data for minimum three years uh, uh, that give kind of an idea of the trajectory of this KPI. So typically, this year, we will see baseline in 2020, okay, with a a certain KPI. And then we decided to, to fix uh, to calibrate an SPT, so a sustainable performance target, in five years' time, so in 2028. Every year, we will have to verify and to communicate to the market after verification by an external party this trajectory, okay? Otherwise, anybody can say, okay, we are in good shape and we we don't know exactly if it's uh, right or wrong. So every year there is an external parties confirming or not the trajectory, and then in five years time we will look where we are. If we are above the the target initially fixed, we can say that this is typically what's what happens in the bond market. If we are above a specific target, then nothing happens. There is no penalty. It's convertible and this is how the 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 to take the bond uh, issuance uh, as an example this is how it is priced so when there is a new uh, bond issue with a kpi it's priced like the kpi will be on target or above target now if in 2028 the uh, target is not reached It's below the target uh, set based on the baseline three years ago. Then you will have a penalty. And typically what we've seen is that in the past on bond issuance, there was 25 basis points. Okay. But what we've seen over the last few months and years is that in the beginning of this uh, sustainability linked or KPI linked, we had it was the beginning of a new segment it was the beginning of a new product so you don't know exactly how it goes but you try to fix some standards and these standards evolve and then 25 basis points happen to be not uh, sufficient enough then it the penalty uh, start to increase okay uh, from 25 to 50 or even per year it can increase from 25 to to 50 for instance um we, we've seen that. We've seen that evolution. It's part of what we call the greenwashing. We see that in the beginning, there are plenty of companies that come into the breach when it's open, uh, start, uh, announcing that there is a KPI linked product. But in the end, the KPI identifier was not really ambitious. And then you see that it can impact I would say not really the performance, but because the parts of ESG in in this uh uh in this product is relatively limited compared to the, the structure of the financial uh, elements, but uh the reputation and the investors can turn to alternatives. So when you will come with a new product, then it can impact your the success of the issuance, I would say. So there is uh plenty of things moving on. Where you try to evolve, it's uh, it's also the fact that when you have a new segment, a new market, in the beginning, you don't know exactly how it goes. And then you have more and more regulation, more transparency, more standardization. And then you have also failures. Uh, I remember, but it's uh, a brief uh, brackets, huh? uh, but in when I was in the financial markets, uh, in the banking industry, I was in charge of a credit trading book. I was in charge of the lower tier two and upper tier two, which are the, typically the solvency product. We launched a lot of lower tier two from from the banks. And when the the, the moment that the bank, one bank, um, Deutsche Bank, uh, uh, announced that the lower tier two will not be called, uh, it completely changed the, the picture and the attractiveness for this kind of product. Then it moved, it evolves, the, the, the mechanism evolves, And the, this is a bit what will happen into this SLB market. We will see, starting from next year, the first SLB coming into SPT. And we see if they reach easily or not, or not. At all the SPT. If it's not reached, then we can make. Or if it's completely above the initial target, we may consider that these uh, products were not sufficiently ambitious, and then the attractiveness for the SLB can decrease. So it's we will see. It's it's a working progress. Like for every sub segment, the ESG and more specifically the SLB, the sustainability uh, linked bond. Uh, to take this example, they can also move in the coming uh, weeks and and, and and months, depending on or also regulations, the way investors will react, these kind of things.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Just for the sake of, of clarity and my understanding, I just quickly Googled what SPT is, but so can okay, you it's sustainability performance targets? And that's what you meant. Yeah. If it's rich, whether it's rich or not, okay, makes a lot of sense. So you have a KPI let's say, uh, carbon emission uh, to be reduced
2: by 50% in 2030. The KPI is the carbon emission, and the SPT will be to reduce by 50% based on the baseline in 2020. You will see that in the future, in 2030, what will be the evolution of this reduction of carbon. The SPT measures the performance of the KPI. To make a long story short.
0: We have a, a saying um, in engineering, uh, which is more my background, which is, if it can be measured, it can be managed. So Indeed, KPIs are super important because you need to be able to measure, I guess, which direction things are going to be able to actually see if it's
1: uh, applicable or not, right? If you're moving in the right direction. To, to make the link with something maybe everybody can relate to, or at least have an understanding of how it works uh, for the individual and then spreading it to the um, corporate world, can you first maybe it can quickly describe what an ETF is, and then mm-hmm. and then explain if there are ESG themed ETFs like we could find tech ETFs, yep. specific industries ETFs, and so on. Yeah. So
2: ETF is electronic traded funds. So it's close to traditional uh, mutual fund. The difference is that the electronic traded fund is traded. Like a stock, so you can find a price at any time during the day. While a mutual fund is V A N at the end of the day, of after the closing of the day. The second point is that it's less expensive. So when you look at the ETF now, it's it's uh, the, the, the fees are relatively small and extreme and make them extremely attractive. And the third element characterizing uh, ETF is the fact that it it, it can replicate everything. You can't, as an investor, buy directly an in- a stock index. You can't buy the S&P 500. But you can buy an ETF replicating the S&P 500 okay, at a cheaper price. So that's all the the benefits or the attractiveness of the ETF. Now, and it's in line with what we've seen previously, and that's the same for other financial instruments, ETF also... If they part in the ESG, and we've seen a lot of ETFs, whatever the type of ETF, like whatever the bonds, uh, stocks, they are more and more looking at ESG components as well.
1: Okay, super clear. And so the vision on ESG is clear. Um, the idea of what we can do in finance, treasury as well, before we get into the, the nitty gritty of the ESG financing instruments and, and go through that. Walk us through something that I keep on hearing is the EU taxonomy for sustainable activities. What is yeah. that exactly and how is it linked to this whole ESG investing?
2: It's uh, indeed something that you can hear uh, more and more. And I can assure you that regulation is one of the key uh, elements focusing for, uh, not specifically, but f- for, for treasurer, but also for treasurer when we talk about ESG. Uh, there are plenty of regulations, not specifically in the European Union, but focusing on this point, the European Union has decided, I think it was in 2019, uh, to come with what we called a taxonomy. So it's a classification to uh, dedicated to all the stakeholders, the policy makers, the investors, all the people to clarify what we talk when we talk about ESG, or more specifically sustainable projects and activities, where does it come from? It comes from the European Green Deal, with the objective to target uh, 2030 and 2050, to for the European Union to be uh, the continent being the climate neutral. So that's the the main driver they want to reduce the carbon emission by 55% in 2030. So that's the European Green Deal. And this generated Euro taxonomy because there was a lot of question, uncertainty and clarification. They decided to put a, a taxonomy, a classification on what is ESG and more specifically because it's, it's really focusing here on the environment. okay. Just for your information, there are discussions regarding a e- EU social taxonomy, but it has been put aside for the moment. It has been posed for the moment. But when we talk about EU taxonomy, we are talking about environmental and they, by this definition, they want to target six environmental objectives that are climate change, uh, mitigation, adaptation, they want also to focus on the sustainability, um, on the sustainable use and protection of water, transition of circular economy, pollution prevention and control. And finally, uh, the biodiversity and ecosystem to be protected. So these are the main objectives. Um, EU taxonomy generates uh, different implications. A small example uh, that impacted a financial market and more specifically issuers and investors is that the the ECB, the European Central Bank, decided to to use these six objectives, six environmental objectives to elect a bond issuance uh, to be eligible at the ECB for this uh, KPI linked. Okay. So it means that if a company as a KPI has decided to identify KPI and want to issue a, a sustainable sustainability-linked bond, they need to have this uh, KPI in relation with the six environmental uh, objectives. S- so the climate, water protection, circular e- economy, pol- pollution, prevention, and biodiversity. If it's one of these themes, then... ECB will consider it's eligible, so they can either use it as a collateral for repos, okay, or they can directly via the, the asset purchase program, more specifically the CSPP, the Corporate uh, Sector Purchase Program, in which they buy to support, uh, to ease, uh, we, mm-hmm. we call this quantitative easing, but to ease, or to support the issuers towards the ESG so this one this what was one of the implications from the EU taxonomy and having ECB part of a book when you launch a bond issuance it's really important. Uh, to be supported. Now, it was in the past because it has been announced that since 2022, it won't invest, it won't only reinvest the uh, investment they did in the past coming into maturity. So they won't increase, they won't do net investment to support the uh, SLB uh, segment.
1: Awesome. Super clear. Thanks a lot, Etienne. How about we uh, dive into into it? Um what are the instruments out there that are ESG themes or that can have an ESG dimension and that treasurers can leverage uh, in order to, yeah, apply, start applying, and as you said, walking progress, but start applying ESG principles to the investment, thinking long term and ESG. Mm-hmm. So, like for instance, maybe we can start with the revolving credit facility, the OCF. Yeah. I think you you touched upon it earlier. How does it work here? Uh, Can it be linked to an ESG performance, as you mentioned? Um, How is it working? Do you have specific prices, covenants applied? Or what are the KPIs? Or to take one of the previous terms, if I find it, SPTs, Sustainable Performance Targets, how does it work for RCFs?
2: Um, Revolving Credit Facility is a credit facility. Most of it is syndicated uh, among a pool of banks. And that gives you the flexibility to draw, that's the term revolving, to draw when you want, when you need, for a short-term use. So it's typically dedicated to fund working capital, for instance, so intra-annual needs. You know in advance when will be the maturity, but you don't know when you will use these funds, and for how long? So you can use one month, three months, six months, depending on what's uh, is sitting in the documentation, and then roll this period over the time. So it's a relatively flexible instrument. Logically, normally it's used as a backup facility. Extremely appreciated to get a f- liquidity capacity for a corporate. Appreciated also by the uh, credit uh, the rating agencies. It's most of the time compared to a term loan where you have directly the funds for the totality of the funds and you know in advance the schedule and uh, the repayment. So it's fixed. That's the main difference between the two. Now focusing on ESG, we can call it not SLB as mentioned before, but SLL, so Sustainability Linked Loan where we can put an an ESG or KPI-linked part of a facility. The example of Carrefour in 2019 was interesting, and we got an award from IFR on on that because we put a mechanism that was actually a win-win mechanism. Without going into details, one of the uh, innovative mechanisms was to use uh, part of the commitment fees, so the part of the fees that it uh, is based on what is not drawn out of the facility and that typically paid to the banks. And part of it was used, depending on the performance of the index, part of these uh, commitment fees was used. To finance uh, ESG project inside of Carrefour, uh, so that that was extremely uh, innovative and in- extremely appreciated by the stakeholders. And when you don't reach the the performance set or the threshold of the KPI, then you you that's for instance only uh, the issuer or the corporate that needs to pay to finance sorry, the, the project. So it's not only when it's negative or it's below the target that you contribute in this case, in this case, and that's was it was innovative in both situation, in positive or negative, you contribute, you keep on uh, contributing it to ESG project. So it's an example, but you can also have dedicated facility towards green project, social project. So you have use of proceeds fully dedicated to a specific project. So you have plenty of possibilities, part of it, and you see they are becoming more and more popular in, in the finance uh, in finance world.
1: Super clear. I like that um, it's a win-win and it also has a positive impact whether you reach the threshold or not. Because it's not just about, okay, this whole thing works only if um, we reach the KPIs or the, the SP. PC STP, damn, I always forget the acronym now. <laughs> SPT. And, <laughs> SPT but it also works. Exactly, it also works if you, I mean, it also has a positive impact in case you don't, and that's, I like a lot. Okay, how about bonds? How does it work there? Can it be linked to sustainability and how? So
2: you do need to have KPIs. You do need to have targets of these KPIs in the future. And based on, on that, you can select the KPIs you uh, prefer, but that investors also consider as sufficiently ambitious. But to do that, typically what we create, uh, or we set up a framework. So based on that, you can raise not only bonds, but also uh, commercial papers. So it's uh, an ESG framework from which we identify the number of KPIs, SPTs, revised on a, a frequent basis, certified validated and based on this framework we can come into the market uh, and raise funds so we have plenty of possibilities bonds uh, commercial papers and stuff like that so typically we that's the starting point and then we come with the bond issuance bond issuance again we have these slbs but we have also the green or the social bond so the use of proceeds one i mentioned uh, earlier so we have these different type of instrument, and we see they are getting more and more popular. Definitely on the the green uh, the green bond, I think the number from two thousand eighteen to two thousand twenty, at, at least forecasted in two thousand twenty three, will uh, be five times uh, the number of green bond outstanding. So it's it it shows that it's getting more and more popular uh, for the SLB. It's also increasing, but there are some uh, reluctance from some investors regarding the ambitious. So this is something that needs to be tested and, and, and challenged and validated by uh, by the investors.
0: Why would you choose uh, one of those instruments over the other specifically when it comes to ESG? I mean, like we've talked before um, on the podcast that in treasury, uh, when managing money, there's three main Priorities that the treasury needs to look at: protecting the capital, making sure you're liquid, and and then optimizing your yield. Mm-hmm. Do each of these? Um, so I understand. I think our listeners understand the, the difference between the financial instruments you mentioned in this regard. But is mm-hmm. there any other like ESG like related component to why you would put pick a bond versus a EF, ETF? Sorry, versus yeah. a revolving credit facility. Like, how do you decide?
2: Um, it, it depends on your needs, your type of needs. Uh, fundamentally, if we put the ESG component aside, it depends on, on the... Uh, typically, for instance, the RCF is for an issuer, uh, for a corporate issues, but uh, it's raised uh, from the banks. Okay, It's not from the market. Bonds uh, and commercial papers come from the market. So it's different type of product, different type of needs. Uh, Typically, you will first turn to the banks to get financing and then you will opt for getting into the market when you have a sufficient disclosure, potentially a rating, this kind of stuff. Now, looking, focusing on ESG, what you can say is that, and that's interesting, in the beginning when we started with SLB, the economical benefits, the financial benefits are linked to the structure was close to zero, so there was almost no no incentive because it was the beginning. You could not compare with existing SLBs, for instance, by looking at the uh, comparables, by looking at uh, the the curves. Now, uh, we see and it's also reflected in in surveys huh, uh, addressed to to corporate treasurers. There was one uh, did by the Economist, Economist uh, Impact, where you you see that the treasurers anticipate more and more ESG as uh, a as, as, as valuable instrument, bringing them with reduction of financial costs or uh, improving uh, the, the financial benefits. So you see more and more than uh, it creates values and it makes sense if you have more and more companies uh, turning into ESG, the one that won't turn into it will will be put aside. Will cost because they will pollute. So it, obviously they will have consequences or impact that will materialize into uh, extra cost. So they definitely ESG is an element that can bring more and more values and potential financial benefits in the in the future.
0: And are those benefits? Um, for the ESG instruments versus the normal ones coming from government subsidies, or are they just more profitable tools, generally speaking? Like, why are the ESG ones more uh, financially attractive?
2: It, it comes from from the efficiency of bringing ESG into the corporate. So it means that a corporate are able to optimize, to improve uh, their processes, their businesses, Thanks to the ESG, and it is impact definitely the financial results the, in the financial metrics. So that's a key element, and investors are looking at it. Banks are looking at it. They do mm-hmm. uh, their credit committee. They look at the ESG component. Mm-hmm. Investors they are looking at this ESG, the guidelines, and based on that, they uh, they see the evolution of the valuation of a corporate, and it goes. It goes in the in, in the positive, in the benefits direction, I would say.
0: What's the role of rating agencies in this whole process exactly?
2: First of all, there are plenty of ESG rating agencies. There are co- kind of uh, concentration or uh, move towards concentration uh, from, from this sector. They are different from credit rating, traditional credit rating agencies, but they are uh, assessing the ESNG. From time to time, depending on the result of uh, one uh, element, from one, one factor, the E, uh, they compensate with S or G. So depending on the result, they have a global score, and it depends from one uh, ESG rating uh, company into another. Uh, it can be a score from 0 to 100. It can be a letter. So every ESG rating agency has its own methodology, has its own way to, to calculate as its own also uh, area. So there are one focusing on governance, the other one focusing on environment. So it's uh, extremely broad and large, but typically they provide with some information towards the investors so that it helps uh, for the investors to invest or not uh, into a Nis corporate. And next to that, you have the, the traditional credit rating agencies that use also ESG component that can impact the rating the credit rating of a corporate depending on the result the performance and the potential risk of uh, ESG inside of a corporate
0: I guess there's a very big uh, reputational element to this right I guess companies go out there and they um they claim to be very you know ESG compliant and uh, very much, but if the instrument that they thought was an ESG instrument underlying does not, then uh, it could be a risk to the reputation. I guess, right? So I guess rating agencies are super important in the whole process.
2: They are super important, but there were criticism about the lacking of transparency and standardization, and also greenwashing. So, for instance, you the the difficulty you have. As a corporate, is you want to control the information, and you want to 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 be as transparent as possible to disclose what you can, but then as you you may have ESG rating agencies with their own methodologies, uh, with their own questionnaires at specific period of time during the year, so it's uh, extremely challenging to meet all these criteria. And from time to time, when you focus on one versus another, you can miss communicating or controlling information, and then you may be penalized. So from time to time, it's also a problem of resource, of providing the right data, of methodologies. And that's why we see more and more regulation to help investors, but also issuers, to have Something like standard in terms of reporting, in terms of information communicated, to avoid to avoid being penalized.
0: No, very interesting, very interesting indeed. Um, but yeah, is there anything else that uh, a treasurer needs to know about ESG that we haven't covered until now?
2: yeah, we've talked about financing and investment. it's it's the two main activities coming into our mind. But there are also, depending on the scope and the uh, the region where a treasurer can act or operate, you can see that a treasurer also has a responsibility to collect data, to work hand-in-hand with ESG department, with communication, with investor relations, with the ESG purpose. So it's also these elements, and we see that it's playing a growing role in ESG as well, you may find also that elements like the monetics or the way trade receivables or uh, payables are typically used can also be improved towards ESG. A-, a concrete example by avoiding using papers or checks in some countries, we still using uh, checks in favor of the digital payment. We bring ESG at work and we improve also the environmental benefits okay, for, for a company we can use also virtual credit cards so this kind of initiatives is also or may be also the responsibility of a treasurer and can help towards the ESG uh, pass of a corporate
0: it also helps the, uh, uh, the treasury department itself as well right less paper means easier to uh, track if it's digitized easier to automate as well if you've yeah. already moved away from your paper processes. a good synergy overall with optimizing your treasury processes and ESG. It's, it's nice that they work in harmony and not mm-hmm. opposing to each other, right?
2: Yeah, true, sure, true. Sure.
0: Are, are there instances uh, of ESG which perhaps uh, treasury departments need to make, let's say, compromises to certain costs or... Uh, certain efficiencies in favor of ESG? Because everything you've described is also beneficial to the company itself, right? You mentioned Mm -hmm. the ESG funding is also more favorable in a lot of ways. It also drives efficiencies, uh, the paper element as well. Mm -hmm. Is there ever a moment where the strategy department needs to make a choice between efficiency and ESG?
2: No, I don't think so. It goes in uh, the hands-in-hands. So uh, as long as the strategy is clear uh, and, and the ambitious and, and purposes of the, uh, the treasury align with uh, the ESG strategy of a corporate, I think it goes hand in hand and it won't impact, it will, on the contrary, increase or improve the, the efficiency and the cost limitation. So I think it's uh, it's the the contrary, it's a, it's a positive. it's a positive, uh, But as long as both, so ESG and uh, treasury are both aligned.
0: Mm. No, that's super good to know as well then, right? You can improve your treasury processes whilst being ethically improving as well. So it's it's yeah. nice that it's win-win. That's what I mean. Exactly. Atiyan, thank you so much for your time. Clearly very, very knowledgeable in this domain. Uh, if people want to find out more about Uh, Yourself, Alexis, ESG, and Treasury, where should they go to find out more?
2: To make a long story short, I'm Etienne Chalmagne. I have 23 years of professional experience in financial markets and Treasury. And there are three pillars driving my career so far. First of all, the financial markets and Treasury. So um, I wanted... And I did uh, occupy uh, the, the various functions in debt, in everything related to debt. So I did some trading, some credit analysis, some syndication and sales. Uh, so I covered the whole spectrum of debt. I've always been attracted and passionate by uh, the debt instrument and the innovation. So I managed to, to trade lower tier 2, upper tier 2 uh, solvency product or tier 1 product, but I also... Uh, managed to, as an issuer, raise a convertible bond with an equity-linked component, the non-dilutive convertible uh, bond. And more recently, I've been involved in SLB and SLL uh, instruments. So I've always been in touch with debt and in innovation inside of debt. So that's the first element, first pillar. The second pillar is that I've always kept the uh, food in the academic environment. So I have a teaching fiber and uh, I started PhD in 2009 in finance. And since then, I've always taught at university and at business schools, uh, various uh, financial courses. So uh, this year, I've taught uh, financial instrument and technology at ESEC, uh, the business school in Lille. Uh, but before that, I've all. Oh, Introduction to derivatives, uh, credit risk management, uh, international finance, so various course of uh, finance, which bring me the ability to share the knowledge. And that has always been one of the drivers intrinsically to to myself and also uh, a way to challenge uh, the evolution of your knowledge towards teaching to uh, students. And the third, the final pillar would say that i have always trying to get out of my comfort zone. I never started a career by saying that I will stay in the same employer, the same bank, uh, same uh, function. So uh, one of the driver was also risk-taking. And uh, that's why I moved from one country to another. I moved from bank industry to the corporate industry, from the sell side to the buy side. And I've always been curious. I always wanted to improve and to increase my knowledge. So this is uh, the, the three pillars of my career so far. We will see how it goes in the future, but uh, that's, um, that's a short summary. And currently, my, my function is financial market director at Aliaxis. Uh, part of the Treasury, uh, headed by uh, Severin Le Blevenec, uh, the global head of Treasury. And I'm responsible for the Treasury management, for the funding, and also uh, to transform the Treasury.
0: So, uh, Thank you so much uh, for being on the show. Um, we'll have your LinkedIn in the show notes below as well, so people can reach out if they have any questions. It's nice to know you teach as well. Yes, uh, so that explanations are so good. Uh, So thank you very much for being on the show.
2: Thank you very much. Thank
1: Thank you, Etienne.